0: Good Friday services, but for today, if you got your Bibles, we are in Romans chapter 12, gonna pick up where we left off last week. So here's where we've been. The Apostle Paul has been encouraging us to be metamorphosed, to be transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of our minds. Bible says, as a person thinks, so they are. Now the question should be asked, what does a Christian look like who's been changed, Like, what's the difference? What difference does it make that Jesus has entered in, the gospel comes in, how has that changed a person? Paul is about to explain, it changes you in a very radical way, in a way that actually transcends the way in which people treat each other on this planet. Christian is characterized by a very radical form of love. And so, what Paul begins to do is he gives you a definition, an explanation of what this kind of love looks like. And this is very, very important for us because in English, we use one word to describe various forms of love. For example, on one hand, we might say, we love our spouses. And then, in the same minute, we might say, we love ice cream. Are we really talking about the same affection? <laughs> Some of you are like, what flavor? The Greeks, they had it better. They used four distinct words to describe four different kinds of love. Phila, Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love. This is the love that siblings have for each other based on a shared experience of growing up in the same home. Eros, from which we get our English word erotic. It's a sexual. Romantic kind of love. Storge, this is the love that a parent has for a child. Very often one-sided. No matter what your child does, your love for him or her is still relentless. It doesn't give up, even though it might not be reciprocated. Storge. And then there's a really unique word that doesn't appear much outside of the Bible, the New Testament specifically. That's why it's been termed God's love or divine love. You might be familiar with it, agape, agape. First John, we're told that God is agape. It's a word that's actually used to describe who God is. God is agape, it is unconditional, never surrenders. It always acts in the best interest of another person, even though that person might not recognize what is in their best interest. Paul begins with a radical explanation of what it means to be metamorphosed, to have your mind renewed because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. First part of chapter nine, let love be genuine. Let love, agape, be genuine. Genuine means sincere. Let your love for others be sincere. In other words, don't fake it. You say, well, how will we fake it? Oh, even in the most subtle ways, he's saying, don't be hypocritical. Love people sincerely. It's like when you get pulled over by the police officer and he writes you a ticket and hands it to you and you say, thank you, officer. Insincere. It's possible, to love people in a way that is fake. Uh, Question, do I love without hypocrisy? Do I love only those who love me? That's easy. Paul is about to give you a picture of the most radical and transcendent way to live. If there are two qualities, virtues, that define a Christian, set a Christian apart, it's agape love and it's grace. Very often the two go hand in hand. And by the way, this command to love each other in this way, radical way, begins right here. I'm talking about right here, in this room, toward one another. It's all throughout the scripture, I'll show you. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep agape, keep a loving one another, earnestly, Since love, agape, covers a multitude of sins. You know what that means? You've heard that phrase before, perhaps. Love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? To cover something is to forgive. It's like somebody does your own. My bad, I got you, I got you. What are you saying? You're covered, you're covered. Is this not what Jesus did for us? Is this not the message of the cross? The cross covered a multitude of sins you will be offended. You will be wronged. Your response in that moment, it's very revealing. <laughs> it reveals whether or not you've been metamorphosed, whether your mind has been renewed, whether you've been transformed. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is agape, is love. That issue's from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That word, charge can also be translated as instruction or command. In other words, what he's saying is this. Christian, if you read your Bible, and I've heard a lot of Christians say, I just love the word of God, I love the word of God, that's great. Well, there's a goal, there's a goal here. As you're reading it, it should manifest itself in your life. The goal of our instruction is what? Love. So if you're going through the good book and you're not loving others, you've missed it. If you're going through the book and your love for God and for others isn't increasing, you've missed it. You've missed the goal. Now let me share with you why this is so important that the Christian community specifically displays this love towards one another. John 13, Jesus said this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love, agape, for one another. This is to love without condition. Oh. This is so much easier said than done because there's just a whole lot of people in this world that are so unlovable. You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about you. (laughs) And I'm talking about me. It is easy to love those who love us But people can be rude, and arrogant, and self-centered. And they're in your orbit. And sometimes they're under your roof. By the way, if you're not receiving love, perhaps this is a question to ask yourself. Am I displaying behavior that makes me unlovable? Is that fair? Uh, Am I abrasive? Am I rude? Am I arrogant? Am I self-centered? Am I making it difficult for other people to love me? And yet, Christian, we're called to love, even those who display these things. This is why I said, How do you know you've been transformed? Because you're gonna love people in ways that nobody else loves them. This is is how you know you've been metamorphosed. You've been transformed. That's the foundation for Christian action. Now, next, Paul explains how we can love well. This is very insightful, by the way. Verse nine, abhor what is evil. If you abhor something, that means you hate it. Hate what is evil but hold fast to what is good, very insightful. What he's saying is, to love well, you do have to hate what is evil because evil things rob people of their lives. And if you really love somebody, you will hate the very things that attack and unwind and destroy those people. And that is evil, evil things do that. Evil things will undo them. So therefore, if you wanna love them well, you have to hate them, okay? Now. Let me give you a very practical outworking of this that many Christians miss because they're afraid to move into this space, right? If you really love someone, you will not affirm sin in that person's life. Sin being evil. This is the space that many Christians fail to step into because they think, well, who am I to judge? This may surprise some of you, but the scriptures actually call us to judge each other within the Christian community, but to do it rightly. This was the context of Jesus saying, hey, before you point out something in your brother or sister's life, you better take that log out of your own eye. If you're gonna point out some deficiency, some speck that is in someone else's eye, take the log out of your own first, and here's why. Why would they listen to you? You're a hypocrite. You are gonna try to correct them when you struggle with the same problem and more? This is why within the Christian community, it's important for us to live holy and pure lives so that we can look at another and say, can I admonish you? And we go, (gasps) admonish, that's like a dirty word. If somebody comes into your life and say, I wanna admonish you. You know what the word literally means? It literally means to bring to remembrance. And so what you're doing is you're saying, can I remind you of what God's good word says about what you're doing? Because I care about you. And my act of love toward you manifests itself in my hatred for the things that is robbing your soul right now, so I'm gonna speak into it. But if you affirm evil, sin, in another person's life, you're actually hating them. You're actually contributing to what is eating them up. That's why he says, you wanna love well? Here's how you do it. You gotta hate what is evil. You have to be able to recognize it. By the way, Jesus gave us an example of this. The woman that was caught in adultery they were trying to actually catch Jesus, the religious leaders, and so it appears that this whole thing was staged, and so this woman is brought in before him, and, and, uh, and Jesus is great, you know, like, you don't try to trap Jesus, it's not gonna go well for you, okay? And so they asked these questions to try to trip him up, and he, you ever notice how Jesus would always respond to a question with what? A question himself, why? Because that's what rabbis did to retain their authority. No, no, you don't ask the question, I do. Okay, I ask the questions. Additionally, it's the Socratic method. I'm gonna help you come to the conclusion that is right, but you're gonna, you're gonna think it through for yourself. Answer this question. Which one among you is without sin? You cast the first stone. See ya. <laughs> and they walk away. So Jesus is left with her. And what does he say? Does no one condemn you? No one's left. Hey, I'm not here to condemn you either. But then he makes a judgment call, right? What does he say to her? You're in sin. You know what else he's saying to her? I love you, (laughs) right? I'm, I'm about to say something that you might not receive well. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You have plenty of people that'll stab you in the back. You need some people that are gonna stab you in the front because they care about you. Go your way and sin no more. Uh, that's good. That's good friendship right there. Jesus was never soft on sin, but he was always gentle with the sinner. Do you want to love well, hate what is evil, and then, in a way that is gracious, speak truth to them? Because you see, they're in bondage, and Jesus said, "The truth will set you free." Next, Paul mentions the depth of love in the church. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. This is a crazy word. I think, I think some of you New Testament uh, word scholars will have to uh, fact check me on this, but this quite possibly could be a word that Paul invents. It's interesting. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word appears, and it's a compound word. And so what Paul does is he takes two of those four common Greek words for love, and he combines them. Fila and storge, fila storge. That's the word he uses here. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what he's talking about, but I, I think it's something like this. So I mentioned earlier that there's a, a brotherly, a sisterly, there, there's a, an, a, an affection that siblings have with each other growing up under the same roof. Like my kids laugh at me, you know what I'm saying? They'll tell, sir, hey, remember when dad did this and they'll all laugh together and it's fun for them. They have this shared experience. Storge, fila storge. Love each other. Think about the shared experiences you have together, Christian, but then he he adds another layer to it. Feel a storge. But also love each other in the way that a parent loves a child. No matter what your kid does, no matter where they go, no matter what they say to you, you will never stop loving that child. I think what Paul is saying is, Christian's, Have this warmth of affection. Not only based on your shared experiences, but that goes further than that. That your love for the people in this room would know absolutely no limits. Feel storge. When when you display that love toward one another, it actually motivates you to do what he says next. Verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Healthy families, Give honor to each individual. In a healthy family, healthy families love elevating each other. Man, I saw what you did, that's so great. You're great at that, I wanna encourage you. Unhealthy families have people who just kinda, they take the spotlight and they put it where? That's not good. There's a sharing that happens when you honor. So like in the Fritz household, when the kids were little, Someone had to, had to load the dishwasher, that was a responsibility for the week. Someone else ha- had to help take care of the grass, you know, the lawn, okay, that was someone's responsibility. And then, and then somebody had to pick up after the dog. Everybody shared in the honor that it was to take care of the Fritz household. And when people stepped into that space, elevation was given. Outdo one another in showing love. Next, Paul talks about the kind of love that you cannot put a lid on it. Literally, I'll show you. Do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, be enthusiastic in your love. Be fervent in spirit, and here it is. The word fervent was used to describe a pot that was boiling. In other words, what he says as Christians, be hot, boil in your love for those around you. Serve the Lord, that's one of the the ways that you are hot for another person in the right context. Serve the Lord, because by serving God, you serve others. Rejoice in hope, celebrate the hope that you have, not only here, but in the life to come. Be patient in tribulation. Don't give up or give in when facing hardship. It can be very difficult to love some people. Be constant in prayer. One of the great ways you can love others is to pray for them. In a separate letter, Paul says, pray without ceasing. All of this, you put all of these, it's like all of these adverbs, you put them together and there's this incredible momentum behind the love that Christians should have for one another. He goes on, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. (laughs) In other words, what he's saying is, Your love for those around you within the household of faith, it should go all the way to your bank account. Your love for those in the household of the faith should reach into your pocketbook. And seek to show hospitality. It's one thing to say, I'm gonna wait for the stranger to come to me. This text gives correction to that. Because Paul adds the word seek. In other words, be looking for opportunities to find the stranger and show them Christian hospitality. I was listening to a podcast from a lady, I really admire her, her, uh, her walk, and she was interviewed, asked the question, tell, tell us about how you came to faith, it was fascinating. She said, before coming to Christ, she declared herself an atheist. Well. What changed you? She said, Two words. Christian hospitality. Well, tell me about that. She had a neighbor that was a Christian, a couple. And they just consistently kept inviting her over for dinner. Hey, you know, we'd love to have you over. She kept saying no, 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 no. And then eventually she, she said, okay, yes. You know, they were so nice. I didn't want to say no over and over again. She said, Yes, she just came in and she said, I had the most amazing experience. She said they were so friendly. They were so kind. I mean, literally. When I stepped foot in in their house, it was as if it was my own. And then they asked if they could share something important with her, something important to them. Well, Well, sure, I mean, they'd been so kind to her. They opened up their Bibles and they began to read. She said over several dozen dinners, she was one. So what happens is, the longer you become a Christian, the more isolated you become from those don't know God. And I think this is a good exhortation. What Paul is saying is get out of it. Seek it. Seek to show kindness toward those around you. I think this is especially necessary and, and perhaps meaningful in ways that we don't understand. If you understand the context, first century AD, especially in the latter half, right around AD, 90, Nero is in power. He's insane. He's totally mental, totally corrupt. That is sick and twisted, this dude, Nero. But he's in charge. And what Nero wants, he gets. He starts to ramp up persecution against Christians. And in another letter, Paul writes, and he says, you know, some of you joyfully accepted the confiscation and plundering of your property. It feels at times that culture is becoming more anti-Christian. It's nothing like it was in Paul's day. You joyfully. Are you a Christian? We're gonna take your property. Are you a Christian? You are unhirable. Are you a Christian? We'll take your life. Could it be that some of these Christians joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they understood that Christian hospitality awaited them somewhere? I may lose mine but I know this community will take me in. I'm good, I'm good, okay. So this is how we are to love those in the church, but what about those out the church? Well, he speaks to it in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, stop. I told you it was gonna get transcendent. Where else else do you hear this? Is the culture giving you this message? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Isn't that interesting? When when people mess with you and persecute you, what is your first response? (laughs) Here it comes. Here comes the curse. Paul said, let's pump the brakes, Christian. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, arrogant, proud, but associate with the lowly. Well, oh, that'll keep you humble. Never be wise in your own sight because if you are, you're not gonna be thinking about loving other people because you're too, you're too busy loving yourself. Repay no one for evil, but give thought, think carefully, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You represent a different kingdom. One of my favorite descriptions the apostle Paul uses of himself is this. He says, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You know what an ambassador is? A goodwill representative of some other place. It's very true. Paul's like, I'm just passing through everybody. This is not my home. I'm just passing through, not of this world. I, I serve a different higher kingdom, one that is eternal. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, okay? If possible, (laughs) as far as it depends on you, you can't control the actions of others, but you can control your own. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And whenever God repays, it is in exact proportion to the offense that is committed. He always gets it right. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. (coughs) If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'll explain that in a second. Do not be overcome by evil. What's the implication here? The evil that would overcome you is revenge. But overcome evil with good. This never static, okay? You're either gonna move toward the good when you're wrong or you're gonna move toward the evil. It's it's, it's always dynamic. You're always moving in one direction or the other. These words are spoken to Christians under uh, extreme pressure uh, culturally. Now, what he says is, because of this, immediately, Christian, there is something that marks you that identifies you as being under the will of God. Immediately. There is something that identifies you, Christian, as being under the will of God. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. I think this is a reflection of Jesus' words, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when Jesus said to pray for them. And let me just say, this is as radical as a human can get. I think it's so funny. In some ways, it's kind of annoying to me. People are always seeking for new ways to be rebellious in culture, and what I'm, offering to you is this. You wanna be rebellious? You wanna be a rebel? There is no higher form of human rebellion than to go against what is natural for you. <laughs> Most specifically, the natural feeling to get revenge. You wanna be rebellious? Oh, my, my mom and dad say this. I'm gonna do the opposite. You're not rebellious. Anybody can do that. Any, you're not rebellious, come on. You wanna be a rebel in this life? You wanna be countercultural? Do what doesn't come natural. It's transcendent, it's a transcendent form of love. Uh, and I think perhaps the greatest way we can show Jesus to our enemies is to show them the Jesus that loved us while we were his enemy. Oh. The greatest way we can show Jesus to our enemies is by showing them the way Jesus loved us when we were enemies to him. Many years ago, my mother-in-law was leaving a grocery store and a man ran next to her and grabbed her purse. Instinctively, she held onto it. It was around her shoulder. She grabbed onto it. He pulled her to the ground. She got busted up, wound up in the hospital. Some people were observing, ran after the guy and caught him. He went to jail. My mother-in-law wrote him a letter She said, I want you to know that I forgive you. She wrote him a letter from her her hospital bed. I want you to know that I forgive you, and I wanna tell you why. I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. And so for me to withhold forgiveness, it wouldn't be appropriate. I have been forgiven for all the wrongs that I've ever committed, so I just wanted you to know that I forgive you. He was moved by this. He actually wrote her back. I think you're never more like Jesus when you love an enemy. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I have a neighbor who, he's not a believer and he's a good friend of mine and he's never stepped foot in a church until one day and I'm gonna tell you how God orchestrated it. I pulled up to my house, and in front of his house, there was an ambulance, a fire truck, and a police car. Something went on. Went over and knocked on his door. And come to find out that his wife suddenly and unexpectedly died. And he's devastated, and he knows I'm a pastor, and can't understand what good I am in society, you know what I'm saying, it's pretty funny. He's like, so what do you do, you know? (laughs) I get it. I ask myself that sometimes, too, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and we are, we're, we're good friends. He always invites me to his parties. They call me Rev, and I'm de- designated driver sometimes. It's great. <laughs> I mean it, it's, it's fun, and, uh, and I love him. I love him and his friends, and, and so, long story short, I, I helped him as I officiated the memorial service for his wife. And the first time he ever stepped foot in a church was in the chapel that we held that service in, down the street from our house. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Talked to a guy after the first service. In tears, he said, I'm on my way to a funeral this afternoon. Coworker died. He said, I think it's an opportunity for me to weep with those who weep. I said, that's it. Yeah. Jesus wept at the death of his friend, Lazarus. Jesus understands. When Jesus said, I don't wanna give too much away. When Jesus said to Mary, why are you weeping? Jesus understands what it means to weep. There's, There's a lot going on there. He understands human suffering. He wants her to come to her point of admission so that she can see a larger picture behind her weeping, by the way. These things are unnatural and transcendent. So what happens is, when, when you bless those who persecute you, when you give a cold cup of water to your enemy who is thirsty and vulnerable, you heap burning coals on his or her head, what does that mean? That's a description of a guilty conscience. <laughs> Someone who feels the shame of having mistreated somebody and in return, they are treated favorably. That brings a, a sense of, of, of inner shame There's an example of this in the Bible. Young David is being pursued by King Saul. King Saul wants him dead. And David and his men, they're hiding out in a cave. Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. And David's in there and his men are like, cut his throat. (laughs) Remove his head from his body. He's vulnerable right now. You kill him, you're king. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. And David's like, I'm not gonna mess with the Lord's anointed. So what he does is he sneaks up behind him and he cuts off just a part of his robe and he lets Saul go. And then later, David's like, yo, Saul, this is yours. I could have killed you. I could have taken your life, but I didn't. I didn't. I don't touch, I don't mess with what God has anointed. It was more about honoring God than honoring Saul. And you know what what happened to Saul? There were burning coals on his head. And you know what he said? In shame, you're better than I am. (laughs) You're you're a better man than me. This is the only way, uh, by the way. What's the alternative? Are you gonna ratchet things up? You gonna ratchet things up? How is that serving someone's eternal Destination. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. A great way to keep yourself from being proud. Consider the people that you hang out with. Do you spend time with people that are unlike you? Never be wise in your own sight. Be humble. Less of you, more of God and others. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We should always avoid purposely making someone angry. And, and when, when hurt... The human heart is such that I want to rally forces around me. Can I tell you what this person did to me? Now you're on my side. And that feels good. Now we're our own little tribe. We're our anti-this-person tribe. Paul says, don't do it. Don't go there. Aim to be amiable with all people. How do you know, Christian, that you have been metamorphosed? Question. How do you love those inside the church and those outside the church? I think we do very well at this. Is there room for improvement? Sure, but when people come through our doors, they, time and time again, I hear this compliment, and this is for you. I feel the warmth of Jesus. Yes, that's exactly what we want. Okay, so the motivation for it always comes back to the cross. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna enter into a time of communion And as we do that, I'm gonna ask you to pray a simple prayer. Prayer goes like this. Holy Spirit, will you reveal my loves as they really are? Holy Spirit, is my love genuine? Jesus came on the scene and he took what people had heard previously in terms of their own personal morality and he took it to the next level. You have heard it said, you have heard it said, referring to the Old Testament prophets. You read them, you know what they say. Love others as you love yourself, but I say to you, Jesus would take it higher, love others in the way that I have loved you. What is that picture? It's Jesus on the cross. Told you it was transcendent. You do this and the world will know that you are disciples, that is to say followers of Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would take the next few moments and that your spirit would just be screaming, so loud and yet so gentle, shaping us and conforming us to the love of Jesus. And Lord, if there are things to confess well, we bring them to the foot of the cross where we do find forgiveness. May we remember that at one time we were enemies, but now we've been made friends, co-heirs, family members, adopted, all because of your great f- love for us. Lord, may that settle into our hearts so that we can show that love towards others. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I'll give you a couple minutes and then I'll come back up and lead us. Jesus took the bread, broke it, said this is my body, broken for you, as often as you eat the bread, do so and remember me. He takes the cup, he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, as often as you drink, remember me. So Father, we are mindful, the words of Jesus, no greater love has a man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. That's exactly what you did for us. Exactly what you did for us, Jesus. That is the motivation behind our love for others. I pray that as we leave this place, that reality would see deeply within our hearts, and Lord, that your spirit would continue to remind you, nudge us more and more toward holiness, more and more toward likeness, For our good and for your glory, we pray. In the name of the one who makes it all possible, his name is Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen.